Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 5-2. Let me set it up for you, and then we're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Here's the deal. Last time we talked, it was 17 through 24. It was on renewed thinking for renewed living. Remember, that was our central idea. It talked about the fact that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles in the futility of their mind, their darkened understanding, the ignorance that was in them, because we had been taught differently. We had learned Christ. We had heard about him. We had been taught him, the truth that was in Jesus. So we put off that old self and we put on the new self And that's got to be what we do in the spiritual life. We renew the spirit of our minds. Now, Paul, in writing this, he's moving from that renewed thinking to renewed living concept into some very detailed applications of here's what you don't do, here's what you do, and then here's the logical thought process behind it. So in our spiritual life, as believers in Christ, we want to be mature followers of Christ. What does it look like to be a mature follower of Christ? Here in our text, we're going to get several do's and don'ts, vices and virtues, if you will, that says, don't do this, do this, and then the reason or the logic or the new thought behind it. Now, if we encounter one of these things this morning that you're struggling with, don't tell lies, don't do falsehood, don't steal. The way you change your behavior is not with a legalistic set of boxes that you have to check. It's you change your thinking. Why do I not do these things? And he's going to give us the reasons. We're going to walk through it. But we change our thinking and our thought processes, which then changes the way we act. We know in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell us who we are, while 4, 5, and 6 tell us what we're to do. We learn about our identity before we learn about the practical application of living out that identity. So today we get some practical application, yet we're still drilling deep into the thoughts. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, and beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Dear Lord, today may you change our thinking. May you help us to love you more and to live like it, to be an imitator of God based on the motivation of the love of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you may be seated. All of these commands that we'll look at today have certain things in common. They all concern relationships. They all have a negative and a positive, and they all have a reason for the command that is either given explicitly or implied. 
So our central idea of our text, what we're focusing on today in this text is that motivated by the love of Christ, we should imitate God walking in love with others. Motivated by the love of Christ, we see it in 5.2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up, that's our motivation. Our command and our application is to imitate God. Our identity is in Christ. How we live that out is we imitate God. We don't imitate Satan, we imitate God. And that means walking in love with others. These are the commands that we walk through. Number one, put away falsehood, verse 25. Verse 25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood. So move out of your mind the thinking process. If your thought is, I'm gonna get saved, but it's not gonna change the way I live, you need to get rid of that. All of these commands, all of these verses talk about the fact that when we get saved, there is life change that happens to us. Things are different. So when we're saved, we put away falsehood. Having put it away, just like last time we talked about having put away that old self, all of those things, we start removing ourselves from those things to embrace the new self, our new identity in Christ. And this text tells us, put away the falsehood. Therefore, having put away the falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Where does falsehood come from? The Bible tells us that the devil is the father of lies, John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we lie... When we speak falsehood, we imitate the devil who is the father of lies. Is that what we want? Not as a follower of Christ. We wanna imitate God, be imitators of God and speak the truth. Ephesians 4.21 tells us the truth is in Jesus. John 14.6 says Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Do we struggle with lying? Do we struggle with falsehood? I would submit to you, yes. Every one of us struggles with lying and falsehood. The way we retell those stories of our glory days, the way those fish seem to grow in inches over the years as we retell and retell our best stories. I would submit to you that, that we frequently lie right now, and I think I can prove it to you. How many of you have installed an Apple update on your phone recently? There's a box that you checked that said, I have read and agree. <laughs> to all of these terms. If you've ever clicked that email to see that 250 page document they send you with all the terms that none of us bother to read because we really don't care. We just want our iPhone to work and we really don't even care about the update. We just want our iPhone to work. So get this thing done and move on. Check the box. I don't have time for this. Today is a busy day. Have you read? How many, anybody in the room, have you read? All, there are two of you, three of you. I feel bad. I have not read and I do not affirm those rules. But I check that box every single time. We lie from fear. It happens to us all. You get afraid of a person. You get afraid of what somebody's gonna think. You don't speak the full truth. You hem all around. You don't have a conversation. You don't talk. You don't do this the way you should. We change our tone to make ourselves look better. Even if we say the exact same word somebody else said, do we often change the tone they say it so that we give a false impression? Yes, the words, but we make ourselves sound better in the way that we tell these things. People pleasing, you wanna please others? Perhaps, not many of you, especially not the three that read 250 pages, but assignments, 
I have read the entire assignment. You read it like this. Anybody ever done that? I was a busy day. I was doing good ministry for Jesus. I didn't have time to read all of that stuff. But you said you did. Do we struggle with falsehood? We all do. Do you take credit for somebody else's work? Oh, that was an amazing job. Well, it wasn't my idea, but they don't know it wasn't my idea. So I'm just going to say, yeah, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. The harder part of this is actually the next part. Put away falsehood and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So how many times do we not only not speak the truth, we just, we avoid speaking the truth altogether. Somebody says something we know is blatantly wrong. And our response is, hmm. I don't have time for this argument right now. I don't want to engage in this conversation with you. I'm just going to let you believe the lie that you believe because I don't want to get involved in it. And we don't talk about it. Now be careful there because some of you so speak the truth and you're so quick to speak the truth that anytime somebody says something that's slightly wrong, you pull out the sledgehammer of truth and begin to whack them over the head with it time after time after time. And this verse has a great caution in here because he says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor not to his neighbor. It's not that we pull out the Bible and begin to pound people over the head with it. We're speaking with them. That means they're engaging with us as well. That means there's a relationship that has taken place here. If you always speak the truth to the point that nobody ever wants to talk to you, you're not ministering to other people. You're not in good, genuine community. So look at the reason here. Why is it that we're to speak the truth and not to speak falsehood? The reason is that we are members of one body. False communication destroys genuine, authentic Christian community, which harms us. You know this. I know this. As I have children and I catch my children telling me something that's not perfectly true, it harms the relationship. You in your life have probably told a lie at some point in time with your parents and mom or dad have said something to you like you lost trust. You have to rebuild that trust at this point that harms the relationship. So in your genuine, authentic Christian community, you lie to one another. You lie to somebody that you're interested in, somebody that you really like. That lie creates a separation and it creates a, a rip in that relationship. And what you really are seeking, even the people pleasing, even the fear is a genuine, authentic Christian community that embraces one another, even with our faults, that loves one another just as we are, that encourages one another, that walks with one another, and yet the lies that we think help us end up harming us. So we change our thinking. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna beat people over the head with the truth. I'm gonna live in love with other people in a good relationship so that we can have good conversation to not speak falsehood, but speak the truth with each other in love. What you're really after is genuine, authentic Christian community. So change your behavior. Don't lie. Speak the truth. Christensen says, in this illustration of the body, that we think about our own body. This is the analogy that's used. So if the eye sees a snake slithering along the ground, does the eye say to the brain, don't tell the foot, let's see what happens. Ow, that hurt. That's a bad idea. That snake was a rattlesnake. We're dead. The eye's dead too. It's all over. <laughs> How crazy would that be? If the tongue tastes something that's bitter, you know, like something that's really bad, like vegetables, <laughs> does it deceive the mouth and tell the mouth, this is a cheeseburger? 
It's like cauliflower pizza. My wife makes the best cauliflower pizza in the world, all right? But it's not meat lovers. I'm just saying. It's cauliflower. It just, really? Like, I can tolerate cauliflower when she puts it in a pizza, but really? It's not, I want meat lovers. Does my mouth deceive me and say, oh, this is meat lovers? No, it's not. Shame on you. you. You get the analogy, right? You hear it. So the analogy that Paul gives us is we're all members of one body. When we do that, it's as dumb as our eye telling our foot, ignore the snake, it's not really there. You're seeing things. We're telling our stomach, this is chocolate ice cream. When it's really not. All right, we gotta move on. Number two, be angry and sin not. Verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Now, don't take this verse to say you should be angry all the time, all right? This verse is not telling you to be an angry individual. It is recognizing the fact that there are times when we are going to be angry, but that when we're angry, we should not sin. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is good advice in relationships. This is good marriage advice. This is good counseling advice. Start this down, write this down for future application in your life if you don't apply it right now. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the reason why, give no opportunity to the devil. Do not sin when you're angry. Now, let's be clear. There are times in the Christian life that we should be more angry than we are. There are times when we see things like the announcement coming out of New York about abortion, that our stomach should churn, that our anger should grow fierce, that we should look at this and say, this is so wrong, that you're going to celebrate that you can kill an infant for the welfare of mom, meaning mental health or basically anything else that they want to claim. It doesn't have to be a doctor doing it, up to the birth of the baby. And then you're going to light the tower and say, this is something to be celebrated. The tower, which commemorates 4,000 lost lives, lit up to celebrate 4,000 babies that die every day to abortion. We should be angry at that. In fact, we should be angry at our own sin. The, the things we don't like to talk about as often. Our own pride, our own arrogance, our own self-centeredness, our own lying, our own deceit. It should make us angry. We should be angry with ourselves that, Lord, why is it that I am so drawn to my own sinfulness? Why is it that this tempts me? This shouldn't tempt me. I know better. And yet, sometimes we don't get angry with our own sin. We seek to make peace with our own sin and to make it part of us as though it's Linus's blanket and we need to get rid of it and make war against it and not have anything to do with it. We should be angry sometimes but we shouldn't be angry and sin. So how do we know the difference here? I think sometimes if we can let it go, if we don't let the sun go down on our anger, that means it may be more of a, a righteous anger. Perhaps not, but perhaps in some occasions because we recognize God's in control. God's got this. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna turn it over to God. I'm gonna seek to do what's right, live by what God wants us to do. But when we can't let go of our anger, perhaps our mentality is you have wronged me. And if you have wronged me, I'm not gonna let go of this anger until I get justice. Well, here's the truth. You have wronged others and you are not the one in charge of getting justice. That's God's job. So when we become so self-focused on ourselves that you've wronged me, I can't take this. You're in the doghouse until I say you're out. We're focusing on ourselves and not on others. And we're not recognizing the sinfulness we've had before God, the injustice we've done before God. We need to be able to let go of that anger and say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you in this. I don't understand it, but I'm going to let go of that anger. Why? Because that bitterness in our lives day after day becomes gasoline that the devil can take to turn upon the fire in our hearts to consume us and destroy us. 
you're better off to let it go and trust God than to have that anger in your life day after day and time after time. John Calvin says on this quote, I have no doubt that Paul was warning us to beware lest Satan should take possession of our minds like an enemy-occupied fortress and do whatever he pleases, end quote. Don't be a bitter, angry, self-centered person. It'll ruin your life. It'll destroy you, not the ones you're mad at. Be angry and do not sin. Number three, no longer steal. Look at what it says in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. There's your command, don't steal. It's the eighth commandment of the 10 commandments. You say we don't have trouble with this, but in our society, workplace crime costs companies over 50 billion dollars a year. We have a very safe environment here at Cedarville. You can go over to the cafeteria, you can see it, backpacks outside, you save your seats with your phones and with your wallets and with your car keys, and I look at that and go, where else in the world can that happen? But lest we get self-righteous and think we don't have a problem with stealing, I think here we call it cedar borrowing. That's when you walk outside and see a skateboard or a bike and you're late to class because you talked to your friend for too long and you go, oh, they won't mind. I'll put it back later. What is that? You didn't ask permission. It's stealing. Plagiarism. Oh, the teacher will never notice. This is a really good paragraph. I'm just gonna copy and paste this. They'll never find out. We do have Turnitin, by the way, with searches the internet to let us know when you copy and paste that and do that type of stuff. But this teacher will never know. I'm just... I've got a friend who took this class before. I'm gonna grab all of their notes and I'm gonna have all of that material as I look and take this online class. And it's an online class. Nobody's ever gonna know. And it's all about art and stuff. Who really cares? I mean, this is not important stuff for me. And so I'm gonna take, oh, is that too close to home? Oh. (laughs) Sorry about that, yeah. It's important that you do the work. Why? Because you're doing it as unto the Lord. It's it's a humanities class. I'm never gonna use this stuff in the future. But he who is faithful in the little things will be faithful in the big things. It hurts, doesn't it? So no longer still. Why? Look at what, look at what scripture says about this. First of all, think about the principles. Did God call lazy people who weren't working hard to do his work? He called Moses who was tending the sheep. He called Gideon, who was threshing wheat. He called David, who was tending the flock. He called the disciples who were casting or mending nets. Jesus himself was a carpenter. Paul made tents. If you don't know what God wants you to do, get to work. Go do something. Be productive. Get busy. Do things. Let God call you out of your busyness, not out of your idleness. Work is a good thing. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You're smart people. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. You have skills and abilities. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for a member of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So you expect to hear this verse say, don't lie because God's character is, is one that doesn't lie. But it says, don't lie because you're gonna destroy your community. You expect to hear it say, don't steal, but work hard so that you don't wanna steal. But it doesn't say that. It has a higher standard it causes to. And it says here, don't steal, Don't be the thief and steal, but rather labor. Why? Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's a higher calling here that we work hard so that we have, so that we can give generously to others. 
Now, in, in our generation, in our time, there's this theory out here that's associated somewhat with liberal theology that you just need to be poor and have nothing and live with poor people who have nothing. That theological position can't deal with these verses because these verses don't call you to have nothing and live alongside other people who have nothing. It causes you to work hard so that you have stuff so that you can give it generously to other people so that you can help them in this way. There is nothing wrong with working hard to make a lot of money, to be very successful. As long as your motivation and your intent is not a self-centered, selfish motivation that I'm gonna do this all for me, but it's I'm gonna do this because God's given me gifts so that I can be generous as God has been generous with me and show the love of Christ to others. That's the motivation. Imitate God based on the love of Christ so that we can then be generous with other people and help them out. We have to replace our covetous, selfish, lazy hearts with a diligent, hardworking, generous heart. It's too simplistic to say be poor and hang out with other people that are poor. The higher calling is Work really hard and use the gifts God has given you and do great things for God's glory and don't be selfish about it, but give it away to others and help them too and help them to work hard to realize what God wants them to do. Number four, no corrupting talk, verses 29 and 30 here. We work hard so we have something to share with others. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion. Why? That it may give grace to those who hear. There's another reason why I'll get to. This is hard. No corrupting talk. Corrupt. The word is filthy, rotten, putrid. It refers to rotted wood. You've seen rotted wood in the woods? Stinks. It's nasty. It's good for nothing. Have you seen water-damaged wood in a house? The mold? The mildew? It's disgusting. A diseased lung. Rancid fish, a cedar shark that's up on the side of the lake for multiple days and you walk by and you smell it and then you see it and it's bloated and it's nasty. And can we all say ooh at one time? Ooh. <laughs> Withered flowers, rotten fruit. You open up the refrigerator, you go to the fruit drawer, you open it up and there's this liquid all down in the bottom of the fruit drawer. And all of a sudden, you recognize that there's some fruit in there that has some discoloration, at least on the bottom side, where it's kind of mashed down a little bit, and it's no longer round or whatever shape it should have been in. And what do you do when you see that? You pick it up and you go, yummy, I want to eat this. <laughs> you go, ooh. So this is what the text is saying to me and to you. My reaction when filthy, corrupt talk comes out of other people's mouths shouldn't be to laugh, engage, or take it up one level. My reaction should be a gag reflex of, ooh, what are you doing? Don't talk like that around me. Is that the way we respond? No, everybody would think we're weird. Followers of Christ, mature followers of Christ, do not engage in corrupt, filthy talk. Instead, we want to give grace to those who hear. Do you ever think of your words as words that can build up or words that can tear down? Will you use your words today 
and tomorrow as words to build each other up, words to encourage one another. Words of encouragement can go a long way to helping somebody who may be struggling that you may not even know they're struggling. Good, sincere words of encouragement for those that you love, those friends that are around you, those that you see, somebody who doesn't have a smile on their face and looks like they need a word of encouragement. Can you use your words in a positive way? Perhaps you're around a group of friends and and all you do is talk about people who aren't there. Well, have a rule. We're never gonna say anything about anybody who's not present. Because if they're present and they're listening to you, your words are more likely to be positive than to be negative, to be filthy. Here's the real issue with this, and we should be thankful to God for it. Our speech gives us a thermometer reading on our heart. If filthy, corrupt, negative talk is all that's coming out of your mouth, God in his grace has allowed you to see a glimpse of your own heart. Because Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Build up, give grace. I like Toby Mac. I, I like to listen to Toby Mac. It's, it's upbeat, it, it's good, it's exciting, it's good workout music. And he's got the song, Speak Life. Now, I'm not saying by that any charismatic view that you can speak life into existence or you can speak things to existence or any of that, but, but the song Speak Life is about use your words to encourage and to build up and to lift others up. Can we do that? Can we be a community that doesn't allow corrupting talk to come from our mouths, but we use our words to build up? And the reason we do this is very important. The reason behind this, the thought process behind this is we don't wanna grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, we often talk about quenching the Holy Spirit or grieving the Holy Spirit, but notice where Paul put this. Lying. Don't do it, you're one body. Anger, don't give the devil an opportunity, a foothold to pour gas on the fire of your sinfulness. Corrupt speech, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to work through me. I wanna be a minister of the gospel. I want to be somebody that's a usable vessel and servant of the Lord so that the Spirit can operate through my life. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth then because here he connects this to grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. Now certainly all of our sins, all of our sins that we do repeatedly quench and grieve the Holy Spirit, but the sin is connected to corrupt talk. Oh, we read James and we are so convicted when we look at what James 3 says on the tongue. Don't quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. Number five, turn bitterness into kindness. Look at verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. All bitterness, all bitter taste, plant or water, Naomi called herself Mara or bitter when she came back after taking off and going to Moab and losing her husband and her two sons. Let all bitterness be gone, wrath, passionate rage, clamor, raised voices, yelling, noisy shouting, loud speech, get rid of that. Slander, malicious talk, speaking evil behind someone's back, defaming or destroying a reputation. That's not a mature believer. That's not what discipleship looks like. Malice, wickedness, evil, ill will, plotting evil against people. You get rid of all that. All of those are characteristics of the devil. All of those are characteristics of identity in Adam before Christ. All of those are characteristics of the old self that we are to put off, that we are not to embrace, that we are to resist. And yet the text then continues on and says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind present imperative to work at it constantly, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving, acting in grace, 
merciful as your Father is merciful. Luke 6, 35 says, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive others who have trespassed against us. When we fail to forgive other people, we burn the very bridge over which we must travel when we ask God in Christ to forgive us. If you are harboring unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, that operates against mature discipleship and standing firm as a follower of Christ. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what you're struggling with, but you have to forgive. Because whatever happened to you, it's not as bad as what we've done to God and Christ has still died for us and forgiven us. We put away the characteristics of the devil. We embrace the characteristics of Christ. Okay, last one. Our mandate and our motivation. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. What's our mandate? Therefore, what do we do? Sum it up. Be imitators of God as beloved children. How do I grow in discipleship? How do I become a mature believer? How do I move from accepting Christ into the deep walk of the faith that I see in some of the the faculty and the staff? How do I do that? Imitate God. Be imitators of God. Look at all these characteristics and imitate God. That's our mandate. What's our motivation? Our motivation is the love of Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's Ephesians 2. You've talked about this already. It's the mindset that we get from loving others as Christ has loved us. Have this mind in you who God, who didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he took himself. No estate, he came to this earth, he died. He died even the death on the cross for our sins. Be imitators of God, mimic emulate, follow after. Do you follow after others? Sure you do. We all do. We see it. Boy, if you get married and you have kids, you see it in your kids. You see it in your kids for better or worse. You see it in your kids when they do something good and you look and you kind of stand back and you cross your arms and you smile and you go, yeah, that's good. And then you see it in your kids like I did last night when Samuel's at the table and he just lets out this big loud burp and then laughs vehemently. And then my wife looks across the table at me like, you taught him that. <laughs> and she's right, I did. Yeah, after a big soda, you know. I mean, come on, it's, not, it's just a burp. It's just, but then in the wrong spot, out it comes. Like if you did it right now, that'd be really, really wrong, right? You've learned this. He's seven, he doesn't care. I got a burp, yep, here it goes. God forgive me, yeah. We teach people bad things, we teach people good things. But if we imitate God, we're imitating the perfect things. You see what our command is here. A coin, it's an imitation. All quarters look alike. You wanna be a mature follower of Christ? Study the character of God and seek to imitate the character of God. Don't look to any human as your idol. Jesus is the only one perfect, follow him. A copier, just stick a sheet of copy paper on it. You press copy, what comes out? Not something entirely different. It's a copy of what you put down. You're a follower of Christ. You follow the way. You look like Jesus. You look like God. That's your mandate. That's your life mandate. You walk in love, present imperative. Old self goes away. That old self is self-centered. That old self is selfish. That old self is focused only on me. What can I get? What can I do? It's the way of the world. We embrace the new self, the new identity that we've been given, the new identity that says I focus on others. I don't focus on myself. I seek to serve. I look to see how I can get involved and have the spirit work through me to do good things for others, all for the glory of God. John 5, 15, 13 says, greater love has no man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 10, Jesus laid down his life even for his enemies. 
So we imitate that love as our motivation as we're imitating God. That's our motivation, the love of Christ. So let's summarize this. Here's your list. Do not speak falsehood, but speak truth because we are all members of one another. Struggle speaking falsehood, memorize these passages, change your thought life there. Be angry and do not sin because we do not want to give opportunity to the devil. Your anger is an opportunity to the devil. No longer steal, but work hard so that you can be a good steward before God and be generous to others. No corrupt talk because we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. No bitterness, but kindness because God has showed us kindness. Our mandate is to imitate God. Our motivation is the love of Christ. Discipleship 101, right there. You take those things down and you focus the next year of your life to do those things you will become a more mature follower of Christ. I have for you today something as you leave. It's a coin. On this coin, on one side, it has our seal, Cedarville University for the Word of God and Testimony of Jesus Christ. On the back side of it, it says, ID in Christ. Chapters one, two, and three, who are you? Your identity is in Christ if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ. That's who you are. Across the top, it says, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that you are redeemed, that you are forgiven, that you are adopted. Down at the bottom, it has Ephesians. Right below ID in Christ, which is who we are, it tells us what we're to do, which is be imitators of God. I've got one of these for each of you to take on a table as you leave today. Now, these things, honestly, didn't turn out real well. I didn't do a good job with it, so I apologize for that. It's hard to read. But then I got to looking at it and saying, man, that's hard to read. This is pathetic. I don't like this company anymore. I thought, you know what? Maybe the Lord had it hard to read for a reason. Because too often when I look in the mirror and I look back at the person staring at me, I don't see somebody that looks like they're loved, chosen, redeemed, forgiven, and adopted. I see some old residual flesh. Too easily prone to temptation. I find my identity in the things of this world and what people say about me and seeking to please others rather than finding my identity as who Christ says I am. So perhaps when you look at this coin, you see it's hard to read and you have to stare at it. Perhaps that's a good reminder that all of us need to really dig deep into the scripture to find out who we are and how we should live. Because I want each of you to know today, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been chosen before the foundation of the earth. You are loved by God. You have been redeemed and you are forgiven and you are adopted into the family of God and nobody can take that away. Your identity is no longer in Adam. It's not in what you do. It's not in what people say. Your identity is in Christ. And with your identity in Christ, your future is secure. So we spend a life living as imitators of God. That's our calling. May we seek to fulfill it. Motivated by the love of Christ, we should imitate God walking in love with others. Motivated by the love of Christ, we should imitate God walking in love with others. Oh God, we are so weak and so sinful and so easily tempted and so easily sidetracked and distracted. Help us to keep our eye on you and on your word. Help us to saturate our minds so our thinking will not be of the old self. But Lord, help us to embrace our identity in Christ and the new self Help us to resist the temptations of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit and help us to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. Help us be imitators of God, motivated by the love of Christ Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. And you are dismissed.